0: the Santa welcome to another edition of Gale Boys. This is a continuation of our uh, 9/11 month, but uh, unfortunately uh, Jordan is currently sick right now so he will not be on this episode today as once again, I'm Liam joined by it's been, it's been a while since he's been on the show here. my good friend from America Kyle.
1: Hello, hello, hello!
0: Yes, it's been a while since you've been on the show, and I'm actually really glad you're on. We're talking about United 93 today, which...
1: is gonna be an optimistic show, ladies and gentlemen.
0: This is a movie I've wanted to do for a very long time because I think it's... It's one of the few pieces of media about 9-11 that isn't completely, like, annoying or insulting to me. Before we get into one of the craziest days in
2: American history, let's get to the news. my name is christian weston chandler i am here and y'all are there
0: so Alexei Navalny is dead uh the opposition leader in russia died in prison under very very questionable circumstances and but mildly no shit uh but it's but it's one of those situations where it's very funny to see the amount of people that have kind of lionized him who know nothing about who this guy actually is
1: they just know he didn't like putin
0: I mean, that's one thing, but I would say to, to say that he is like the lesser of two evils is let's get into it. So uh, I'll post this in the show notes. He did a video around 2007 that was pro gun rights, and it involves a scene where he shoots a man wearing Muslim garb and says, in this case of killing bugs, I prefer to use a handgun, <laughs> not subtle. Um, He's also he was so extreme. He got kicked out of his party. He was very, very pro uh, the Georgia invasion in two thousand eight as well. Uh, yeah, he is a truly just complicated. It's a lot more complicated than him just being like yeah, that's the thing about Russian politics and Russian history is that it is a mess. If you were to si- if we were to sit down and dissect Russian history, it's a lot of murder, it, a lot it, of death. It,
1: it would be a ten part podcast. Holy if we'd still shit! Still messed up.
0: Holy shit, don't even get me started. Like, literally the Romanovs uh, being so fucked up is the reason Lenin came to power and Rasputin. It's a its a fucking mess. But uh, the, the reason also I think it's so funny that he's become a liberal folk hero is, um, this is a very personal grievance of mine, so bear with me. In 2022, the documentary about him that was produced by CNN and Bellingcat won the Academy Award for Best Documentary. And why that's so funny to me is this same year, that documentary came out. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed came out, which, if you don't know, is a documentary about the Slur family, their their connection to the opioid crisis in America and political power. Of and course
1: I, I want to go through. The powers that be would never allow it to win.
0: Well, I mean, one of the reasons it's so funny is that, yeah, like, literally, this is the same year that Pfizer is getting all that push from, uh, like, literally, Pfizer will save us from COVID, and then... Well, the next thing you know, yeah, we, we can't really have... It's so funny. It moved, that movie won the fucking Golden Lion at Venice. is like one of the most acclaimed documentaries of that year. And when it premiered in America, no one even gave it the time of fucking day. It's it's revealing. I, I
1: don't even remember where it came out on.
0: It was a huge hit in Europe, which... Well, of course it was, like I said, because,
1: because Europe isn't a slave to the to the pharmaceutical companies.
0: That's why. Yeah. But let's give a, let's give the documentary to Alexi Navalny's fucking <laughs> documentary produced by Bellingcat, which mind you like doesn't even go into anything I just brought up the pro invasion of Georgia, his deeply questionable views on Muslims and shit like that. <laughs> Very much he is against Putin, so support him. It's uh it's insulting. I've almost wanted to do it on this show cuz it's like one of the most nakedly obvious pieces of propaganda I've ever fucking seen. Yeah, Alexi Novani's dead. Uh, it's so, it, like I said, it's so funny, like I compare his lionization right now to uh, when America, like liberals were very happy when Robert Mueller was writing that report. And then they immediately threw him away once he, they found out he wasn't gonna wave his magic pixie wand to get Trump out of office.
1: Well, I remember, like, Bill Barr as well, like, he put out this, like, thing that saying, like, the report says Trump did nothing wrong, and was like, what the fuck? No, I didn't. I just said you couldn't prosecute him as president.
0: I remember Bill Barr for a while when he left, he said there's no evidence of voter fraud. Mr. Bill Barr, welcome to hashtag resistance. <laughs> God, <laughs> God damn it. It's just, that's the thing. America, like, that's kind of my takeaway. We talked about this in our last episode. America is so poisoned by its own propaganda machine. You see all of these people like bringing up Trump and the the cult of MAGA. Meanwhile, like literally blue America is doing the exact same fucking thing. Just everything is isolated. It's so frustrating and
1: it's it's, it's the it's an echo chamber beyond belief. Oh, it's... Like very few politicians can get out of it. Like Liz Cheney's like the only one I can think of that has effectively gotten out of the echo chamber.
0: I know, uh, who is that fucking guy, the, the dude with the shaved head who waved the- they were in front of his house and they were, like, saying, stop supporting Israel, he waved the Israel flag in front of them. John Fetterman, John, oh my god. This motherfucker, 70% of your constituents are like, we shouldn't support this, and he's like, that's a fringe thought. Like, what the fuck, man? <laughs>
1: Like maybe because he had a stroke during his campaign, maybe that's why. Oh,
0: that would explain a lot, actually. Yeah,
1: because like literally, he's going on, going like, "I'm the biggest progressive you'll ever meet." Blah blah blah. As soon as Israel is gets up to some shit, support Israel, support Israel, support Israel. You're all, you're you're all anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic.
0: Jesus, I remember. It's so funny. And then he's
1: tweeting like Noah Schnapp.
0: Didn't his wife threaten to leave him and shit like that? Oh, I think. Oh, she left him. He chose Israel over his own wife. That That's... that's... man, Jesus. A country
1: that I don't think he's ever been to before.
0: I, I, I haven't. If Jesus Christ. So, Russia's up, up to some shit and, um... Well, we'll see. I will say this. They're probably gonna take Ukraine. Cause as soon as October 7th happened, America did the equivalent of the uh, Toy Story meme where Andy drops the toy saying, I don't want to play with you anymore.
1: Yep. And, of course, you've got the Republicans who are holding everything hostage because they're worried about the border, they say. But they're not allowing anything to pass because Donald Trump doesn't want them, want it to pass because he wants it to be an issue for him.
0: Were they really into fucking, like, anti-trend stuff, like, a month ago?
1: Oh, they were. Are they still- it's It's literally just a shiny light for them. All you have to do is just shine it a little bit over and they'll switch- tactics within seven seconds got it it's kind of impressive actually
0: got it yeah well we'll see about that like i said we'll see but uh speaking of uh american conservatism donald trump um this was i i love that i can't ever like prep a show because literally the night i'm editing this show some shit happens yeah. uh, it's literally
1: just every time you wake up your phone like a news app on your phone goes bitch guess what trump just did
0: yeah so uh he owes A lot of money. He has to pay, I think, over $300 million now in legal, in, like, fines that he got over his court. He
1: has to pay $60 million, I think, to E.G. Carroll, the woman he sexually assaulted in the 90s, then defamed. And now he has to pay $453 million to the state of New York for fraud. Wow. And he's banned from doing any business in the state of New York for three years.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. I think I also read that I don't even think his family members can run his companies, which is... Um, yeah, no,
1: yeah. literally the name Trump is banned from New York.
0: That's the thing about Trump. It's, oh. so, it's so funny. Like now, uh, again, this coming from, I'm from Canada, Jordan's from um, Scotland. So no one outside of America takes Trump seriously. I've seen so many conspiracies about that Project 2025. And all I can say yep. is, dude, Trump is not that smart. Don't give this man, no. especially now. I've, I've got. He a... tried
1: to. He tries to get his. He tried to get himself into like the elite circles of the billionaire class, and the billionaires were just like, "You're a fucking idiot."
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. It's... Also,
1: fun fact: for every day he doesn't pay, due to New York um, state law, he has a nine percent post-judgment interest rate. It will increase by a hundred and fifty-three thousand dollars every single day he does not pay. And that includes the appeal times.
0: Oh Jesus!
1: So, so about forty six, uh, four point six million dollars a month.
0: How the fuck is he going to campaign for president? <laughs> That's my question. Because you never notice I mean, That
1: I mean, he's probably just taking the donations from the people at this from his followers at this point.
0: Oh, I know most of that like didn't go to. I read some stuff where like because he's not technically the nom yet most of that money isn't GOP money. This is one of the reasons I think Trump, like, I don't take him seriously at all as this, like, shadow dictator that people- This man can't even campaign. This guy, like, notice how when he was running for president, he did all those rallies, and then did them while he was president, did them while Biden was president, and just is not doing them anymore. And if he is, he's doing them in like fucking school gymnasiums or something where he's has to immediately get on a plane to go back and do court shit. Micromanagement has got to be fucking brutal on his, on his, if you're his accountant right now. Oh my god. All I
1: know is that Trump, I'm not sure if his world is collapsing around him or if it's getting better because you've got the trials that are going, the guy's criminal trials that are going so many directions at this point. I can't even keep my head on with them.
0: No, I would say he should just live in court at this point. No, Which I... one?
1: Because he's got like four different ones he has to go to every and day.
0: It, is the Georgia one still happening?
1: Currently, yes. Although apparently they're upset that the prosecutor's dating one of her fellow attorneys, I guess. Yeah
0: all i know is cameras are supposed to be in that courtroom so i'm very we're definitely going to keep an eye on that
1: well there's like what 30 defendants how are they going to fit them all in there
0: i'm very excited that one will at least be at least there'll be some great clips are going to come from that but um the thing i love about trump is you can't keep a good grifter down like a like a great snake oil salesman they always find a way to to make money even in the darkest times
2: and we have a few young ladies that are up here crying look at you with the trump 2024 Thank you, darling. I love you too. Wow. A lot of emotion. There's a lot of emotion in this
0: room. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to tell you, you know, I've wanted to do this for a long time. I have some incredible people that work with me on things and they came up with this. And this is something I've been talking about for 12 years, 13 years. And I think it's going to be a big success. Uh, I, I got
1: to give it to Trump. He he loves the hog pod problem.
0: You know what? I've said this uh, before. We get into what I'm talking about here. If he was just a Jim Baker fucking guy who just like lived in a compound, grifted a bunch of old people out of their fucking life savings, I wouldn't really care. In fact, I'd actually commend the hustle. This is America. <laughs> we got to hustle. But uh, the fact that he has, there are people in American politics that want him to be king of america is it makes it it makes the stakes a little more intense but yeah anyway so to solve this problem he hawked these amazing pair of sneakers i wish i this was i wish i had a visual of this right now because they look like they look like like the kind of sneakers you'd see in like a a mid-2000s rap video like i imagine that they got
1: from kmart
0: (laughs) from kmart it looks $400, $400, which, for these, which, I mean, to be fair, I've seen sneakers that look worse that cause more, yeah. so, but I, I guarantee you one of the things that I know is he probably bought these wholesale or had them manufactured somewhere and is selling them for double what he paid. That's usually what yep. you do.
1: Yep, and also someone bid on a shoes that were signed by him. They paid $9,000 for them. It was a Russian billionaire who was friends with Putin.
0: Shit, yeah. Shit, yeah. Well, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I mean, but... just, just to wrap this whole thing, or bring this whole thing full circle, it's all about Russia.
0: It's all about Russia. As I've said, Russia's probably gonna take Ukraine, because Ukraine is not getting their, uh, American... They're running out of ammo. They're running out of fucking Like, also, I read a thing where Zelensky basically bit the hand that fed him, talking about, hey, wh- what happened to the money you were supposed to give us? You're not supposed to say that out loud. You're supposed to just take your checks and then keep shooting, but... I don't know, it's just considering all of them are probably just running to Israel to fight for the IDF. Now, because Zionists don't give a shit if you're a Nazi. If you're willing to shoot people they don't like, they will gladly take you. They do not care. Absolutely. So, yeah, they're all going to probably just flee to Jerusalem. I know even American neo-Nazis aren't interested in Ukraine anymore, which was like the last line of defense they had. So that's the... Yeah, I don't think Ukraine's going to be a country by the end of the year. Well, that
1: sucks for them, genuinely does. They fought hard, though. Give them that.
0: They did, but again, the problem is, is that like we've talked about on this show. I mean, when half of, when literally half of your army men are Nazis, that the optics are a problem. (laughs) The optics are big. When the president has to delete Instagram posts because multiple soldiers have son and rads on their uniform, it's not good. It's not good at all.
1: No, no one does not.
0: <laughs> Bad optics. God damn it. That's the that's the that's the perks that Israel has. You know they, they can they can throw the anti-Semitism <laughs> argument, and in a lot of ways, they will probably win in that moment.
1: United ninety three, the traffic speed is one o'clock twelve miles eastbound three seven zero.
0: United ninety three, everybody, level three five zero. The United ninety three, Cleveland, do you still hear the center?
2: United-1523, did you hear yeah, that a
0: couple ago? Spring name. I got the piece to We have a bomb aboard. So, so it's there. Yeah, that unreasonable. It sounded like someone said they have a bomb on board. And we thought we
3: just uh, we didn't get it clear.
2: I like out uh, remain There's the, uh, 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 the United-93, clever.
0: The United 93,
2: Cleveland, do you still hear the center?
0: Speaking of terrible, terrible, terrible things, um, we're going to get into it now. Like I said, we're doing kind of a weird 9-11 retrospective. Uh, We're going to do, because we want to do it through different angles. We did, last week we did Spec Ops The Line, which was all about the video game economy's boom after 9-11. And we're going to do Syriana after this, which is all about the weird balancing act between, you know, we're at war with your country, but also we want your oil. And I thought it'd be appropriate because we now have the one American, one of the two Americans that we have on this program here. We would talk about the actual day itself uh, through the lens of United 93. Written, produced, directed by Paul Greengrass. A director I really don't think gets the credit he deserves. Of all a lot of mainstream directors, he's probably one of the most consistent.
1: He's definitely the best at making you feel like you're there. Oh, he does oh, yeah. all of his movies. Even his like fictional action franchises, like the Bourne stuff. You feel like, oh, this could be happening but, right in Vegas now.
0: Yeah, well, before we get into um the actual like uh you know, get talking about the because I want to talk about a little bit about 9/11 conspiracies before we get into the uh, the meat of, um, of 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 the film itself because 9/11 conspiracies are one of those things where there are you know it's it's a thing where there's a lot of weird, stupid shit like there were no planes, esoteric stuff, but there are some that really pique my interest and I'm not really a conspiracy brain person, but I do enjoy a good yarn and there's one here we'll get into uh, but. Before I, I want to talk about Paul Greengrass and how he got to making this movie, um, he pitched this right after he made *The Bourne Supremacy* to Universal. Could you imagine having the balls to do that?
1: Only Greengrass could. Well,
0: just the just the idea. All right, I just wrapped a huge movie for you guys. You know, I'm a newcomer, made a fucking huge amount of money. I want to do a movie about 9/11. What? Like?
1: <laughs> I don't even think the debris was fully. Picked up by that point. Well, it was
0: 2006. It was five years. Well, the the film was completed in 2006, so maybe shot around four years after. So the, the wounds still very fresh when he decided to make this film. But uh, yeah. I, went, I really want to talk about some 9-11 stuff because uh, I did a bunch of we and Jordan did a bunch of talking while prepping this before. Unfortunately, he um, was incapacitated by the deep state. I guess. Uh, that's what they'll go to, to protect our secret, their secrets. If, if I
1: disappear, ladies and gentlemen, you know what happened.
0: Yep, if he, if the Clintons show up, run. Don't even think, just run. <laughs> but well, that was my policy beforehand. <laughs> so one of one of my favorite theories about 9-11? and I do think there's some truth to this. Uh, I don't like. Again, going into, this is pure speculation, conspiracy, brave, but it's so fun. Uh, this was entirely done to cover uh, cover up insider trading at United Airlines and American Airlines. Because there's actually, like, if you think about it, like there was a huge uh, shorting of the stock a month before 9-11 happened. So around August of 2020, there's a huge shortage of stock. And two FBI agents at the same time were arrested for insider trading as well. There definitely was some weird money problems going on at there and we, you know if if you do if something like this happens no one's going to care about financial crimes. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's I mean that's also the thing about uh, America American politics is that it's all driven by money so the idea that they would kill 3000 people to cover up insider trading is something I totally believe is possible.
1: I wouldn't put past no some, some of these people.
0: No, uh, I also love about the bunker at the White House. Army men kept walking back and forth inside, saying, hey, uh, 20 minutes, there's a plane about to hit the Pentagon. And Dick Cheney refused, kept giving stand-down orders to multiple people, like saying, no, no, don't, don't bother shooting it down. And there, there is a theory that, again, that goes into the theory that this was all about a false flag for oil and shit like that. And the idea that, like, the vice president is giving stand-down orders during a national crisis is weird and fascinating.
1: You never know what Dick Cheney's thinking half the time Uh, because he's probably just thinking, how can he get money out of this?
0: Dick Cheney is one of the great villains of history. He, like, one of those people, like, he is a guy who I really don't think people really give him the credit for being the true shadow man that he is, given how many strings he pulled. And, like, I firmly believe everything during Bush's presidency was at least somewhat driven by him. Because George Bush is not a smart man, George Bush, uh, W. So, no. if, but Dick Cheney is smart and a fucking demon. And he knows exactly yeah. what he needs to do. He could be, do anything, say anything. And I believe a good chunk of what W did during his presidency was kind of pushed into him by Cheney. But there's also one of my other, there's so many other fucking insane stories about this that I love. Uh, One of my other favorites is, because this goes back into Trump we talked about earlier, the Dancing Israel's Conspiracy. Now, if you don't know, there was a weird, there's a story about...
1: Palestinians.
0: Well, I mean, it changes depending on who you ask.
1: (laughs) During a speech recently, I said that I saw, in parts of New Jersey, Jersey City, but parts of New Jersey, I saw people getting together and in fairly large numbers, celebrating
2: as the World Trade Center was coming down, killing thousands of people. And I saw them on television, and I read about it on the internet, and I read about it. So they said, oh, we can't find anything, Mr. Trump. I start getting phone calls in my office by the hundreds that they were there and they saw this take place. On the internet and my tweets,
1: at real Donald Trump. At real Donald Trump,
0: they'll turn those cameras off for a second. Look at all of them.
1: That is very true.
0: Well, I mean—
1: Depending on who you want to get people mad about.
0: So the story goes that there were—Mossad had intel that shit was about to go down. Uh, if you read The Looming Tower, the book, that really does, like, hammer home how many warning signs were missed or just ignored that led 9-11 to actually happen. But, oh, uh,
1: the commission report flat out said the system was blinking red everywhere. Why did we miss this?
0: Again, go read The Looming Tower. That's one of my yep. favorite fucking books about this shit. But the story goes is that during ever watching the buildings burn, a group of men were sitting at a van drinking and having fun and filming. And it goes into, like I said, it, the, the earliest reports say they were, uh, Isra- they were Israelis because um, right after they were arrested, Uh, They were immediately released without even no charges, nothing. Now, granted, that's kind of everyone's on edge at this moment. So I imagine anyone who's like kind of having fun during this is a suspect. But it is very interesting that right after they were released, they fled the country.
1: During that day, it was a lot of chaos. So I can imagine the police were just like, let's what do we do with these people?
0: (laughs) I mean, it gets into. And that's what I mean. That, That story is so interesting because, again, Trump confused them with. Uh, Muslims, and again, they're that it's they were
1: dancing on rooftops, dancing on in roo- Jersey,
0: yeah, in Jersey. It's literally a story where it's been morphed and twisted. And again, I believe the original because the original reports I read for like were like 2002, so those are the ones I'm going to take seriously. Let's get into the actual film itself. So, Paul Greengrass made this film, and uh, I'm actually going to post with this episode the documentary that's on the DVD. That includes uh, interviews with him, as well as the family members of the people who died on this plane.
3: It was one thing. It was certainly well done. I felt very much like I was on the plane with my daughter. But I had this one next to me, so she held me together. But I want the whole world to see this film. It was numbing.
1: You know, it was very,
3: very painful.
1: It was very vivid, it was very real. But I
3: can't imagine it being portrayed any other way. That was exactly how I had dreamed it in my
1: head, I think, for, for years. And it was just executed both had, for sure. No fluff, no sentiment. And it couldn't have been done that way because I think um, I wouldn't have left as satisfied.
3: Internally, I'm a little more quiet. I'm more relaxed, finally. Again, I really think it's because I don't have to, um, you know, campaign or
1: put those people on the plane anymore. You know, the, the picture, you know, speaks volumes at least for me, and I'm I'm really thankful now. I have uh, another, you know, tool in my bag to uh, accompany me when I talk about, you know, Diora or any anyone else on that flight, or when I talk about Flight 93, or I talk about September the 11th.
0: I'm assuming most people who are listening to this know what United 93 is about. It's about the last plane. It was the only of the four planes that did not reach its target. It crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. And it's been debated for years what the actual target was, because... Target... It was
1: either the White House or the Capitol. I believe it was the Capitol, mainly due to the fact that it would be a lot easier to see.
0: Well, I mean, also, you have to remember, like, these terror... These guys... One of my favorite facts about this day was only five out of the 19 hijackers knew it was a, a suicide run.
1: And of the pilots, basically. They were
0: the pilot. Well, the pilots knew the targets. That was partly why. They were the only ones who actually knew... Because the other guys assumed they were going to an airport or ransoming these people and the pilot actually knew where the target was never know what that target was but the fact that these were just normal people we talk about conspiracies and shit like that these were just normal people trying to go to San Francisco and then were hijacked and oh
1: the oh, oh the boarding scene if you've ever been on a plane that is a very familiar scene there like in other plane disaster films like you get the bits where you get introduced to some of the passengers you learn about their lives no it's literally you're just there with them, you're boarding the plane with them, seeing them take out their laptops or finish up that last phone call. You're just there.
0: I think the reason that's one of the reasons I think this movie is so effective is that I would say this movie doesn't have a plot. It doesn't even have characters. It's just a like dramatization, fly on the wall moment of just yep. watching this. Because again, you don't even really get these people's names. You're you're just yeah, kinda you get maybe
1: two passengers' names total. And, and that's about it.
0: The other reason it's so interesting is none of the people in this film are, well, some of them made careers after this, but none of them were professional actors. They were all... Yeah, all
1: of them did like some TV stuff. I think one actress was on SNL for two years in the 80s.
0: Yeah, that's about it. Like all of them were, he deliberately, Paul Greengrass tried to make these, characters, these actors as unrecognizable as possible, which is a smart thing to do because... Again, going back to 70s disaster films, Charlton Heston being the hero of this film kind of gives away how it's going to go, you know? yeah, Square jawed American. Yeah, but, Like if they
1: had Tom Cruise playing Jeremy Glick, you would be distracted the entire
0: film. Oh, he, there's a great story. There's some great interviews with Paul Greengrass talking about making this movie. And he had to fire... The reason, so in the film, one of the guys in the control booths actually played by... Uh, the guy who was there that day who ran the control booth, he actually had an actor play that guy and had to fire him because he wasn't doing a good job.
3: So about eight o'clock, I had the conversation. He knew it wasn't working and he, he didn't want to carry on. So there we were out the Pinewood trying to scrab around to find an actor to pick up a part at a moment's notice. Come in the next morning at eight o'clock and play the part of Ben Sliney. I tried a couple of friends, they weren't available, by now it was like 11 o'clock at night and it was too late to get anybody from New York. Finally I thought I'm going to have to ask Ben Sliney to step in and play himself. I rang him up and said would you be here and he said yeah sure I'll be there tomorrow morning that'll be no problem at all, just let me know what time you want me. So I said well I'll see you at 7 in the morning, great. So I came in at 7 in the morning. I said how are you feeling Ben, he said great I'm ready to go. He said, "Just want to say one thing. Thanks for making me first reserve to play myself in a movie." <laughs> and then he went on, and he was absolutely brilliant, and uh, in many ways made that film the film it was.
0: And grass was stressed the fuck out because this is not a movie where you can have hiccups in production. If this is if this fucks up in any way, your career's over. Absolutely. And he ends up just hiring this guy who was there ben as a, yep. to be a technical advisor. He was a technical advisor, and he just played himself in the movie. And it's very effective how, how the film actually... Like, oh, yeah. Most
1: of the people on the ground that survived the day are playing themselves. Yeah. They're the, they were there that day.
0: And it's partly why I think, like I've said this, like it's so funny. Greengrass, we talked about his action films. This is very comparable to to um, bloody sunday i think you've seen that as well and that movie's cut very similar to that this where again there's very little there's no real character development although james nesbitt is a, is probably the closest thing that movie has to a main character it cuts back and forth between soldiers and just random protesters it's not structured like a traditional movie like, right oh man just bloody sunday is amazing that's one of the reasons i think green grass is so special Uh, that movie was his breakout, and that was originally, like, intended to be a TV movie. And it got a theatrical release because it blew the fuck up at festivals. It won the Golden Bear at Berlin, the Audience Award at Sundance, and... It's a very fucking intense movie, and I I love the scene at the end. And, uh, I just want to say this to the British
3: government. You know what you've just done, don't you? You You've
0: destroyed the civil rights movement. And you've given the IRA the biggest victory it will ever have. All over this city tonight, young men, boys, will be joining the IRA. And you will reap a
2: whirlwind. Mr. Cooper, what do you say to those people that might be joining? What message do you want to give to them?
3: I feel very ill-equipped to do any preaching to them after today.
0: Right after he made that film, he immediately went to America and started working on the board movies. Because I think this is when you make Bloody Sunday. This is before the Dave Cameron apology and everyone realizing, hey, we we probably shot and killed a whole bunch of innocent teenagers. Uh, so yeah, I imagine making that movie probably pissed off a lot of people in high British power. Absolutely. Oh my God! I mean, it's... also
1: fun fact: um, Ben Sliney, the the air traffic, the head of air traffic, that was his very first day on the job.
0: My God. I mean, Talk about a first day from hell. Oh man, I'll say this: you'll never have a bad day at work again. You go in <laughs> every day; is just a walk in the park. After that, <laughs> I I I love them, how they portray that as well. That that scene where he just says, "We're shutting down." This is a national emergency. Everyone lands regardless of destination. That's going to cost billions. Just a do it. Impact. We have hundreds of international flights coming in. They're already in the air. No, no, I don't. I don't want any more international flights crossing the borders. They don't have to go back where they came from. Nobody's coming into the country from now on. Everyone, everyone, shut off the East
2: Coast. Shut off all the international from Europe. Shut off South America. Shut off the West Coast. Nothing over the top either.
0: We're going to put. We're going to shut down the entire country right now. That's right. Listen, we're at war with someone. And until we figure out what to do about it we're shutting down that's it we're finished no one gets in or out of the country it's a, it's one yeah. of those like it's such a hard decision to make because the amount
1: well of... it seems hard but he, but it's also the easiest decision because at this point that point you don't three buildings are on fire you don't know what's happening you've got multiple planes that aren't answering any calls it's just pandemonium. It's just like, fuck it, let's land oh, everybody.
0: Uh, another great, uh, another great, I'm going to have to post a lot of fucking information in the show notes for this, but I'm, I'm into this. So, yeah. um, one of my favorite pieces of 9 11 media you can watch, it really captures how fucking unhit, like just crazy this is. Go watch 102 Minutes to Change America. It's one of the best documentaries. It's definitive, it's the, to me, the definitive piece of 9 11 media for me. Because, Absolutely.
1: If you want to understand what was happening on the ground, watch 102 minutes. If you want to understand what the government and what was happening in the sky, if you want to understand those two aspects, watch United 93, well, and you will have a very vivid picture of what was happening well, that I mean, day if you don't remember.
0: Well, I mean, in both of these, and one of the things that's so in- effective is, like, when that first plane hits, everyone in the control room is like, oh, this is a horrible accident that just happened. They yeah. thought it was a fucking prop plane. They didn't know it was a commercial airliner. and then Oh, yeah, it was complete confusion. And then that second plane hits... And the tone changes dramatically and very fucking noticeably, um, and especially in 102 minutes as well, where yeah. th- they have that shot in that in this documentary where someone's just filming from their apartment. That second plane hits, and people are screaming.
3: Regardless, it's gonna be so dangerous at that that base, obviously. Wait. <gasps>
0: Is chaos from that point forward. People are fucking losing yep. their mind. Like
1: I would even say that the film, that United Nine Three itself, the first maybe half hour to forty five minutes is more of a documentary kind of feel. But as soon as that second plane hits, you're you're in horror territory well, almost.
0: Well, I mean that's partly the thing about this movie that's so effective is that nothing really happens in this movie. It's a slow br- like for the first forty five minutes, it's very slow very deliberate burn opening scene i love is when there the two guys are in the hotel room and he just says it's it's time and he's reading it the guy's reading his book the guy's shaving his chest and just kind of them getting ready to die well th- both of these guys don't know they're gonna die like the d- dichotomy between the one guy's just kind of reading his quran well that him.
1: one was the pilot so he he knows what's going on yeah he
0: he's chill as fuck and the other guy's like kind of come on dude let's get ready we gotta get going he's like you have no idea what's happening today, do you? You you think you think you're going home after this. These guys are kind of you can call them monsters and shit, but like the way Greengrass portrays them in this, they're victims too.
2: Because... Especially
1: the especially Ziad Jarrah because if you read about him, a lot of people were shocked he was one of the hijackers because they said he was genial, friendly because a lot of the other hijackers who like lived in like Florida and other apartments, they were just, everyone said, yeah, they were assholes hundred percent of the time. But Ziad was just this normal guy. He had a girlfriend. So you've got this one hijacker who was clearly hesitant to the point where I think even could the commissioner reporting where report said if there was anyone that was going to pull out, it was going to be him. But I think once he got on that plane or once he got to the airport, he was like, I have to do this.
0: Yeah, you can't really back out of this, but I mean, that's partly why I think they're... And I especially love the way, to go to the end of the film, the way they're freaking out because they did not expect this. Scared shitless because they don't know what's Just the way out.
1: that the dichotomy between the passengers and the hijackers switch as the film goes on, where you've got the passengers who are at first terrified at the back, but then they slowly get angrier and angrier until they realize, as they realize what's happening to them.
0: Yeah. They, they re- and then you've
1: got the hijackers realizing, we're trapped on this plane with these people. Yeah, we're out. They're not happy.
0: We're outnumbered too. There's like what? There were how many people in this plane? Like 50 passengers yeah. and four hijackers. That's that's easy. And, and you have
1: to remember, these hijackers were in their 20s. I think the oldest was 26 years old.
0: Jesus, yeah, no. They, and they were described
1: as these short, skinny guys who just used surprise to kind of take control. But you've got these passengers, one of whom I think was like six foot, a six foot three judo champion. Professional wrestlers, football players—these people were probably intimidating to the hijackers when they just boarded the plane. Well, I
0: mean, also it's a fight for your life situation. If you're yeah. no, we're probably gonna die here today. Yeah. Like, fuck it. Like fuck it. Let's just let's just do what we can in the moment. And that scene—they beat that guy to death with the fucking fire extinguisher. It's, it's like so cathartic. Oh, it's no, but it's so brutal too because there's like, yeah. this white sterile plane just the blood starts spraying everywhere. The scene where they're trying to get the knife out of his hand and you can see blood all over this place. In fact, one of the things I read uh, about this production was the actors who played the crew on the plane and the passengers were kept in separate hotels. And the terrorists didn't even come to lunch. Like, they were completely isolated from the rest of the cast. And that day during the hijacking and the scene, like, that was the only time most of these actors had even met each other and had no yeah, idea. Yeah, the,
1: the whole hijacking sequence was shot... The film was shot with one on the plane from one continuous take from the hijacking to the revolt, all improvised. The plane was on basically this giant set that moved as the plane moved according to the um, flight data recorder. Greengrass just told them, improvise, say what you think you would say in this situation. And to the point where at the very first take... The second hijack to fall genuinely burst into tears because it was so such a difficult shoot for him. Oh, but
0: some people got hurt, too. Like a lot of those injuries oh, yeah. are real. Like those guys. Oh, got yeah, blood. Not got the... They have real box cutters. This isn't like a problem. Yep. They're using actual and, and box you, cutters. And you've
1: got the whole set moving up and down, left, right, taking sharp dives. It's like being on a roller coaster without a seatbelt. you're going to be thrown into things you
0: forget it's a movie at a certain point i would think oh yeah because i mean and that's the thing about green is that he's very people make fun of his um his shaky cam this is something that even he has brought up
3: people sometimes criticize me for the shaky cam i'd love to bring those people out onto the ocean in a four foot swell and say well how exactly would you get stable images the wonder is that we had any images at all to be honest
0: he comes from a television documentary style of filmmaking, so he's used to, you know, being on the ground and filming real gritty and dirty like that. And right. the way he uses it in this film is to capture how, particularly by the last fifteen minutes of this movie, where it is just fucking chaos. It's people screaming, people are getting slashed. It's and it, it, I really don't think you could film that conventionally with a steady cam, and it would be as effective. It has to be complete. May- Mayhem. The editing has to be out of control. Mayhem.
1: I think it was just a fully rebuilt 757. So they couldn't really set up, like, move aside walls and stuff to no. ma- film it. It was just a handheld camera following everyone around, like you're on a documentary.
0: Especially with, like, again, how it's really hard to film on an airplane. A lot of movies, like, they build their own airplanes. A
1: lot of times you look at airplanes in movies, it looks like they've got like 50 feet of aisle
2: space.
0: Yeah. No it's, it and the the notice the ceiling is much higher because they need to have a camera operator who's carrying all this shit actually yeah. walk through and this and it very much is a very down and dirty approach to making this movie and I think again it's the only way you could really do this. I also love the way that he captures the feeling in that control room where it's kind of starts very basic film style very and the more it gets chaotic the camera starts getting more handheld the cuts get more jarring it's it very, yep. he uses, the voices
1: get louder and more frantic. Oh
0: yeah, people are screaming over each other in this control room. Like, that's one of my favorite things about a Gridgrass movie. In every one of his films, there's always a control room where people are just yelling over each other. Every movie he does. The Bourne films, his Captain Phillips movie. This time
1: it was probably the most justified versions.
0: This is one of those films that, like, everyone I know who has seen this movie says it's like one of the most harrowing watches they've ever had. Because it's not i think one of the reasons the families were so supportive because that's one of the things about that uh documentary and the dvd that i love is that the families were not interested in this and then they talked to him and i there think was yeah, he, yeah except he, for one yeah one would was not into it but i think and you, and you can tell who yeah, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately because he kind of went in and said i'm not making an exploitation film i'm not gonna make i think he probably showed a couple of them bloody sunday as well because this movie very much is cut from the same cloth that movie is. it's it, again it's structured so similarly and the 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 way that he approaches the actual tragedy and again this is not a it's a, it's, a, it's it's comparable to i think come and see the soviet war film where you know how it's gonna end and you're kind of still watching it horrified even though you know this is gonna end the way that it's gonna end oh yeah. Like as soon as the door closes on the airplane, you're like, oh boy, we're in for a fucking You ride. immediately feel like you're in a tomb. You
1: you feel like you're in a casket.
0: Oh, he feel. oh, he, the way he uses sound in that as well when the plane fucking closes and the suction, we're never getting off this plane.
1: One thing about this film, I think, cause I remember like, so, cause some people complain that it's like propaganda. No. There is no reference to Osama bin Laden. There is no reference to Al Qaeda. No. It, you are It is literally just simply experiencing it as it's happening. Well, there was a
0: cut of this film that had um, a title. They changed the title card. As soon as the yeah. plane crashes, America's War on Terrorism began. And then yeah. it was changed into, this film is dedicated to the memories of this, the people who died on this plane. And yeah. I, I, I'm I pretty sure that was... a Again, this movie also, I think that was a, for two reasons. One, it, it really is a jarring thing to put at the end of a movie that is... It's inherently political because about 9-11, but... It, again, there is no reference to... No one knows what the fuck al-Qaeda was at this point when 9-11 happened. The worst right. you had was, like, Osama bin Laden was just kind of this Epo baby who, like, left his family and did these, like, small little terrorist attacks here and there. I mean, he blew up the yeah. World Trade Center before and Brad, he was going to do it again, but no one actually thought he was going to do it like this. Also, this film caused a lot of problems. Uh, there's an amazing teaser trailer for this film that I actually played some audio there the earlier. Um... It is just audio from the. It's like the trail. It's like the teaser trailer for Alien, where it's just like this brilliant mix of like audio and eerie fucking visuals, and it's just a guy at the control booth saying, "United 93, what's your status over?" "United 93, what's your stat?" And just
1: that that teaser is so chilling.
0: But and then it shows the original title, Flight 93. But apparently, like multiple movie theaters refused to show this trailer. Because it caused such a visceral reaction from some people. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, oh, yeah. it caused me a visceral reaction. I've seen this film, but I had never seen that trailer before. And it was just, it's it's disturbing. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's effective as fuck.
1: I think uh, mainly theaters in New York were just like, oh, absolutely not.
0: Oh, yeah, blame <laughs> them.
1: And then they released the official trailer. And it honestly made the film look like some action thriller. And it looked so stupid. Yeah,
0: that's the problem. Well, how do you sell this movie? how do you sell this to a mass painfully audience? how do you sell this to a mass audience hey hey go watch a movie about of uh, the people that died on the last plane like and to be fair i think also and it's again, less than
1: five years later well i
0: mean also you have to remember he had just wrapped the born supremacy so they sold it under from the director of born supremacy and bloody sunday i really think universal didn't know how to sell this movie i don't know how you'd sell this movie but it, it ended up being a, a commercial hit. It cost about $15 million, made 75 So it actually made yeah. money. It was a hit, but...
1: I know Greengrass got the best director nom.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Abs- I'm, I wonder if... The, I feel like it should have gotten more. Like, at least best editing. Because yeah. the editing in this movie, as chaotic as oh, yeah. it is, it, it, it's very, very deliberate, some of the editing choices that he does in this movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, it did get a best editing nom. Absolutely. Fuck you. Okay, it should get a best editing nom, but... I think, yeah. um... Who oh, won that year? I have no idea. Let me take a look, huh. actually. You know, The Departed won that year. And I'm gonna, okay, be, I'm gonna that... be honest, good call. That's a fucking... Good Thel-
1: call, but United 93 definitely would have earned it if Departed wasn't there.
0: Yeah, well, Thelma Schoonmaker worked her ass off for 40 fucking years, so she gets everything. But, uh, but yeah, no, uh, Jesus. Imagine a double bill of United 93 and The Departed. It's a real fucking... <laughs> Wait a minute! Awesome, <laughs> just awesome. Just, just you leave that theater after those two movies. Nihilism is palpable. Can't trust the police or the government. Fuck!
1: I can't even get on a plane. I
0: can't even get on a plane. I can't. I can't even. The guy from Titanic is calling people the N word. This is ridiculous. Think about also is this movie is that this really is. I think, Greengrass is probably so happy this this when it was as successful as it was because I said this movie. He this talks, sort of
1: destroyed career completely. He talked
0: about literally, I fired an actor, I'm fucked. Like I, this has to go perfectly, or I'm in deep trouble. And he has, he has since then, I think, really, he's respected, but he should be respected more because he's such a, he's yeah. so good at this kind of movie. Uh, as I said, A3. Yeah. he did also Captain Phillips, which is a more. Hollywood movie but uh, for what it is it's pretty fucking solid um
1: also I'm pretty sure for Captain Phillips, the music at the climax oh it is, is the exact- same music it's the same music but it isn't as effective as it is on United 93
0: no I mean you know they saved Captain Phillips at the end of that movie that's partly why yeah. I feel like that was him marrying the styles of his Bourne films and United 93 like he right. make a harrowing. Do- Actually, I think uh, I think the the closest he's gone back to this kind of movie was uh, Twenty Two July, the yep. film that he did. That's exactly what exactly I was thinking. One of the few decent Netflix movies out there because that movie is uh, it's it's. That's brutal. why Netflix hasn't taken it down yet. It's brutal. I mean, <laughs> it's brutal. That movie's brutal, but I think that movie uh, it's very similar. Although the way he he turns it into more of a hopeful story because it opens. With I
1: would you- almost say that it's the polar opposite of U-993. Or at least the mirror of it, because United 3, the day starts normal,
0: and then descends and all into, hell
1: breaks yeah. loose, and descends into complete madness everywhere. While the opening scene is the shooting for 22 July, and as time goes on, things get more and more normal for these people.
0: Yeah, and especially, I especially love the way he portrays Anders Breivik in that movie as a total fucking asshole. <laughs> like, he goes in court... <laughs> And the fucking, like, the racist guys that he idolizes disavow him, and he's fucking angry. He's like, you fucking cowards! And
1: And his lawyer's just like, you're an asshole, leave me alone.
0: I love the character of that lawyer in that movie, because that is a... Imagine being that guy, you're a public defender, you defend drunk drivers and shit, and literally the guy who committed the worst single-man mass shooting in, in world history wants you specifically to be his lawyer. (laughs) <laughs> and I love uh, the fucking scene also that gets me. He goes and interviews a uh, Brevick's mom. And she says... It's
1: kind of right, though, isn't it? The way the country's going, it's not like it used to be.
0: These are difficult times. Which, and he just kind of looks like, oh, no wonder this guy turned into what he did. Jesus, this is his mother. Oof. It's, It's, yeah, it's... God damn it! But uh, and he's sort of uh, he's been off the ground lately. Greengrass. He hasn't done anything since uh, News of the World, which I wasn't I wasn't that into. This is kind of I don't even think I even saw it. Boring fucking western with Tom Hanks. I mean, it's it's fine, but oh, that's why. Yeah, it's boring as shit. So. <laughs> I've heard he wants to do a movie about a peasant revolt in medieval times, which I would actually fucking love to see that if he would ever if he gets interesting. That. He's talked about like I said he he literally talked about like he had done. He, he's one of these great directors I love who kind of goes with their emotions. While prepping 22 July, he was prepping a different movie.
3: And how did you end up with this as your, uh, as your film project? As I understand it, you, you were originally thinking about, you were looking at the migrant crisis and you were uh, in Italy. Uh, originally, and then you kind of changed your focus. How how did it end up that this was the story that well, you wanted I, to tell? Well, I, I I thought very seriously about doing a film down in Lampedusa and you know about the boats and and you know all that, you know the humanitarian crisis of all of that. And I tried to find a way into it, but the more I tried, the more it felt to me like it was one part of a much larger story and that larger story really is about reactions to globalism
0: it then turned into him making a movie about uh the fucking norway terrorist attack it's just uh yeah that's what i mean he's very much a guy who he goes with his gut and sometimes it pays off sometimes it doesn't but it really pays off when it matters and you know and he's, and he's respectful enough to the events. There, there is a TV movie. I think you told me about this before we got on this. It's like this. It's like United 93 done cheap and trashy almost.
1: It, it's called Flight 93, which is why they had to change the name.
0: That's probably why. Right. Yeah, it's like super cheap and trashy. I saw clips of this and it, it is.
1: Like the only time I felt any kind of emotion because I watched the, that film. The only time I felt any kind of emotion is when the mother of one of the passengers she hung up the phone and just started wailing.
0: That's about right. That's the only time
1: when I was just it's like, okay, that, that got me out of me. The rest of the time, it just feels like some cheap, gimmicky raw, well, I mean, I mean, raw America ball. Well,
0: I mean, it's also the, the systemic shortcomings that I. it was made around the same time yeah. and they were rushing. They're clearly rushing this thing out as fast as they can. Like oh, I yeah. said, have got the it, news
1: reports that like know the name of the flight numbers as they hit the plane. They're like, oh, there's flight 175 coming in. And I'm like,
0: what? Like I said, I don't mind cheap and trashy exploitation, but it's not. It has to be fun, cheap and trashy exploitation. <laughs> this just feels
1: like you're trying to tug the heartstrings, and it's just somebody tugging the annoying. Like
0: I said, I've watched. We watch canon films on this program about Vietnam soldiers as POWs. That could be entertaining, but it's just, yeah, that's uh, this movie is uh, yeah. But going back to 993, th- it's, there's very little I can really add to this movie because it, again, it's very much. There it is not a conventional movie like where there's like I could talk about this plot point because if you know what happens on this plane, you know this movie. Yeah. But I think it's um I would absolutely recommend this to the audience. Um you won't watch It is one of those
1: films where you want you watch it, it's a great film, but you never really want to see it again. No,
0: I've watched this movie twice and that's all I need. I've like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm not because the
1: last I would say the last twenty minutes when the passengers start making phone calls. Is probably the most heartbreaking twenty minutes
0: ever. Well, I mean, uh, going back to why I think Greengrass is so good at this, um, th- this film had to have been made by someone who's not American. This this Agreed. had to have been made by someone who has does not have that visceral feeling of pain that a lot of people from America had about this day. He's able. To I mean, infer- just look like at World Trade Center. <laughs> like I said, oh, gee, that came out the same year, and the. the- that movie is well, kind of the perfect yin and to this movie's yang. Where yeah, it, it
1: ends on a hopeful note. The you know, like they save the two firemen. It's a, it's two celebrities who are playing the characters.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, fucking Oliver Stone did that movie. Too. You would think he'd do this movie, but I, I don't know. <laughs> Oliver Stone after Nixon lost his mind. Like we talked about in this program, he, I don't know what happened, but something fucking happened during. Uh, that is a movie where. You don't come away from making a movie like that a normal person again. James Woods basically playing himself while also playing an actual politician. It's fucking great.
1: Fun fact about James Woods: he was actually on one of the planes with one with the hijackers Really? To a test run. He, yep, he went on Fox News. He said he was sitting in first class. There were two <sighs> Muslim, young Muslim men sitting in first class on a transcontinental flight from like New York to L.A. They did not eat. They did not drink. They did not sleep. They just stared straight ahead the entire flight and would just quietly whisper to each other.
0: I don't know if I believe James Woods because Uh, I I don't I I feel like he's one of those uh, guys.
1: Apparently, the FBI did confirm they had talked to James Woods before the attacks. Okay,
0: but just just, I
1: I mean, this was back in 2000, 2001, so so he wasn't. He wasn't completely crazy.
0: Okay, he could like still he was still he, could still he do, was still
1: raking at the Disney money. Yeah, from, could, for Hades. he could
0: still work with Seth MacFarlane without vomiting. So that's another fun yep. fucking story. The creator of Family Guy almost died on one of these planes, which is yep. amazing, absolutely fucking amazing. But I, I, my favorite, just to end this on a bit of a lighter note. Uh, but before we do that, um, you would recommend this to the audience for sure, right?
1: Absolutely. Yep. The revolting is probably one of the most blood chilling things on film that's not overly gory no. overly violent but you just feel the utter desperation
0: it's it's genuine rage
1: you feel from the passengers it's,
0: they're brilliant filmmaking that's the thing that i think this movie we we could sit down and kind of maybe call this propaganda but the filmmaking itself that's the it, thing. it's
1: done in a very loose propaganda very loose term because yeah. one thing that you'll see from like Actual propaganda films about like United 93 is they're going like, we have to stop them from hitting the Capitol. They weren't thinking that at all. No. They wanted to go home. They wanted to get that plane on the ground and go home. That was all they wanted to do.
0: Yeah. And I think they were
1: terrified people.
0: I think, I think again, the fact that the film doesn't even bring up the political angle of the terror. Like, I think, again, that's the difference between just a smart movie that like actually does set, like has something to say versus like I said, it's so easy. The version of this movie that, that could have been made that was that Flight 93. Yeah. That, that is not this movie is it exists, but the fact that we do have a nuanced take of this, of this is, is great. And I think it's, again, it stood the test of time. It's about to yeah. have its uh, in two years. It's about to have its 20th anniversary. And I think people are going to really start, Rediscovery, like I,
1: like I do think pe- that it's kind of up there in terms of like those historical dramas like Schindler's List that needs to be seen.
0: But to end this episode on a nice positive note, uh, Mark Wahlberg would have totally stopped this had this happened. which is He
1: was supposed to be out playing with Seth MacFarlane.
0: Jesus Christ, that would have been...
1: <laughs> no family guy in Norwalk Wahlberg.
0: Honestly, I could take that life. I could, if I had the option, I might actually take that. We would remember Seth MacFarlane for Johnny Bravo and Mark Wahlberg for Boogie Nights, and I think those are both better things to be remembered for. <laughs> uh,
1: remember Marcus Marky Mark.
0: Re- remember, oh, Jesus, just don't remember Mark Wahlberg. Period. Jesus fucking Christ, <laughs> God damn it. But uh, yeah, uh, so that was it's great to have you on, Kyle. Uh, this was great yep. fun. If you um, need me on.
1: Another time, just let me know.
0: Of course, I will. Jordan will be back when he's uh, if he's not dead by the end. Less of this dying. Movie. Like I said, if he's not dead by the end of this recording, I'll find out. Uh, the, I'll find out if the Clintons got there or not. But um, but we'll definitely. Yeah. So we're gonna finish up 911 uh, with a a, a a a film that's not as like overtly like like bloodthirsty as some of the other films we've done. Very violent. This is a much more of a smarter film. I think it walks a very interesting line. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely more episodes coming along. So stay safe, stay happy, and uh, just, just be good to p- people, damn it.
2: Paul's first interaction with our family was, was not to inform us that he had accepted the challenge of telling our loved ones' stories. It was to ask us if it was too soon. Paul needed to know if we thought the time was right and if we would support this project, helping him depict our loved ones and their last minutes of life. I will never forget sitting with my fellow family members at the Tribeca Film Festival, the premiere of United 93, and wondering how it would be received. As the film ended and the sound faded away for a period of minutes, all one could hear was sobbing throughout the theater. No one moved, no one knew how to respond beyond this spontaneous demonstration of awe and grief. Through my own tears, I knew that our trust in Paul was well-founded.
3: If you're a filmmaker, you want to try and find ways to tell the truth about the world as you see it. That's the job. And you try and tell those stories as, as honestly as you can and without fear or favor. And sometimes you get it right, and sometimes you get it wrong, and sometimes they work quite well, and sometimes more often not so well and then you beat yourself up, and then you come again, and you find another story, and you try and make sense of the dangerous and difficult and complex world. But in the end, it's the relationships with these men and women that are humbling for me as a filmmaker. And if the films have their consent, if the films tell a story that they recognize, um, then on behalf of all the men and women who, who worked on those films, then I'm humbled and I'm grateful and I, I thank them beyond measure for, for their grace and their sacrifice. We'll be friends for life. It's, it's been, a, been, been the greatest privilege of my life. Thank you.